I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode is supported by Chimney Fire Coffee. Chimney Fire Coffee. Supporting ethical and eco-friendly practices. Chimney. All the way from farm to cup. Fire coffee. They source their beans from El Salvador, Ethiopia, Peru, and Brazil. Then they roast them in the Surrey Hills. In the nice bit between Guildford and Dorking. Chimney. They work directly with farmers. Buy a coffee! And they share their stories. Chimney! Their packaging is fully compostable. Fire coffee! Listeners to Three in a Bar can get 20% off their first coffee order. Simply head to chimneyfirecoffee.com and use the code 3inabar at checkout. This is Three in a Bar, a podcast where we are joined by a different musician every episode. I'm Seb Philpot. And I'm Verity Simmons. I play the trumpet. And I play the cello. Our guests could be from any part of the music world. We've spoken to pop stars, composers, orchestral musicians, singers, musical theatre performers and lots more. We chat about their careers, ambitions and get a glimpse into what makes each musician unique. Shall we sing the song? Oh, don't make me sing the song! Three, three in a bar! Hey, I tell you what, auto-tune is a wonderful thing. Three, three in a bar! Come on, Seb. First round's on me. Shall we begin? Let's begin. Great. Hello, everyone. <laughs> that's a nice gentle um, start that's good hello everyone come in sit down we've begun don't worry take a program sit down pass one along um this is three in a bar and um well we, we're quite warmed up because we've been doing a little patreon bonus episode yeah we're warmed um, up i just feel like we did when we did that breathing we did a breathing um challenge <laughs> In our page, yeah, we did. And oh, um, do you feel a bit bit tired out? I'm quite light headed now, but it's okay. I'm, I'm coming back. I'm do you feel calm? Yeah, I feel strangely no. calm, but also light headed, <laughs> and I'm seeing stars. Does that count? Okay, <laughs> nice. Uh, we just recorded a bonus Patreon exclusive episode of uh, about forty five minutes or so yeah. of us just chatting. Um, so if you'd like to listen to that kind of thing, then, um, please go to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash three in a bar mm-hmm. and you can come, go and support the show and get extra, extra content from all our guests. We've got, um, there's an extra bit of chat from today's guest, yeah. uh, which, uh, 
you'll you'll hear more about shortly. But uh, yeah, join our Patreon. Why not? Um, That's got to be the earliest plug we've ever done. <laughs> it is. We never start the show with that. But no. But mix hey, things up. Let's do it. Come mm. on. I mean, no no pressure. But um, that's that's sort of one of the ways we fund the show. Yeah, uh, it takes time making a show, but uh, no worries. If not, then don't worry. Um, if if you like the show, otherwise you can just just share it, tell your friends. Yeah. But anyway, let's let, get let's on with it. Them, so. They can make a choice after they've heard <laughs> it's up it. To you. <laughs> <laughs> Who have we got? Who is our this week? Well, this this week this week we've got Cool Jit Barmer at MBE. Yep, yeah. he's absolutely brilliant. I don't know if any of you heard or saw our live event, um, which we did, when was it? June now. June, 12th yeah. of June, was it? That's right, yeah. Cool Jit was, it came and performed and chatted for very briefly on that one, but he was absolutely amazing. The number of people who came up after after we'd done that show to talk about Cool Jit and say how amazing he was. It was yeah. like so he was just a the breakaway star, yeah, wasn't he? It's true, yeah. yeah. He was mesmerizing. Uh I've got a Wikipedia page here. Oh, go on, do share. It's always, it's always <laughs> the best when, when a guest has a Wikipedia yeah. page. He is a British composer, born nineteen fifty-nine, record producer and musician whose main instrument is the tabla. He is best known as one of the record producers who pioneered the British Bangra sound. And for his many collaborations with musicians from different genres and continents, his MBE was awarded in the Queen's Birthday Honours List 2009 with the citation for services to Bangra and British Asian music. Wowzers. In July 2010, he was awarded an honorary doctorate by the University of Exeter. Okay, pause. Wowzers. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's a lot. Pretty impressive, isn't it? The, the it Queen is. goes... Right, you've you've basically invented Bangra. Have a have an she award loves for that. Bangra, doesn't she? She blooming loves it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because so no that surprise. would have come from her. It will have done. She, she would have said, "Can you can you find this Kuljit? Get him to come along to the house. Tell him to bring some CDs with him as well, if you would." <laughs> uh, I've got some early life and influences here. Oh, go on. Born in Nairobi, Kenya. His grandfather was an Indian. So I said that weird. <laughs> Sorry. Did you say grandfather? <laughs> I did say grandfather. I <laughs> yeah. don't know why. Born in Nairobi, Kenya in 1959, his grandfather was an Indian artisan sent to Kenya by the British Raj. Bamra contracted polio when he was one year old, which affected his left leg. This disability eventually led him to play the tabla while seated similar to a drummer playing a drum kit rather than seated on the floor, the usual practice for tabla players. Uh, Bamra's father had gone to England to study civil engineering, and in 1961, Kuljit and his mother joined him there. In 1968, they settled in Southall, which has been Bamra's hometown ever since. He taught himself to play the tabla at the age of six and accompanied his mother, Mohinda Kaur Bamra, I hope I pronounced that right, who was a popular singer at weddings and public functions. Later, with Barmer's two brothers playing accordion and mandolin, Mohinda Kaur recorded a number of albums that became successful, being sold through a network of corner shops in the Asian community. On the insistence of his father, Barmer trained as a civil engineer at Middlesex University and then worked for Richmond Council for a while. There we go. Just, he's done so much stuff, um, producing and playing um, notable collaborations with, with Andy Shepard, 
who uh, jazz saxophonist Andy Shepard, who they've they've done lots of stuff together, and I think he's been he's quite instrumental in in Cool Jit's career, as you can hear in the in the Patreon extra. He talks about that. Yeah. Um, also, Shakira. Uh, Ring- <laughs> Shakira. <laughs> yes, that's right. Oh yeah. my god, amazing! Shakira, uh, Ringo Starr, the Sugar Babes. Who did you say, Ringo Starr? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enrique Iglesias. Yeah. Joanna McGregor. Yes. And Dudley. Yes. The Um, Britain Symphonia. Andrew Lloyd Webber. Did I say that yet? I don't think you have said that yet. No. Yeah, they worked together on Bombay Dreams, where he he played uh, on stage percussion and also worked as a dialect coach for that production. Yeah. And um, yeah, so we we talk about all that and working on a show. um, And he. So he plays the tabla, which is a two drum setup. If you don't know, uh, I also forgot in the in the interview, so you can hear me go, "What's that one?" And then "What's that one?" And he went, "Oh no, no, that, that yeah, you, you're here, you're here." Slightly in fairness, there me. were a lot of drums in there. There was a yeah. It's an incredible studio space. It's incredible. So we went to his place in Southall. He's got this just amazing place. How you know it's like a museum in there. He, he loves that. The, the the kind of way where the, the West and the East meet and the the sort of traditions of the Punjabi music tradition, but but he, he's doing it over here in in London, collaborating with all kinds of people and working all around the world as well. But a lot of kind of what would you say like when when people think of tabla or any anything like that, that sort of, of people have a yeah. yeah people come with a sort of um yeah preconception or a prejudice or mm. or maybe people are just a bit scared of it or there's a certain sort of mysticism people think is attached to it and and he's trying to break that down and even in the interview i i get i get it wrong as well because i i kind of say well we but there do. is mysticism but there's yeah. not mysticism <laughs> so um, but he's so great chatting about that isn't he like he i i love it it's so he's the easiest person in the world to chat to he just He's great. He really like totally demystifies things, doesn't he? And he's really breaking yeah. down those walls between Eastern and Western music. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think if we get into it now, then we can chat afterwards. Yeah, let's do that. We should also say that before we started recording, he presented four samosas. Mm. <laughs> yes, he did. Two each. <laughs> and they were delicious samosas. Oh, so good. So there may be a bit of samosa action. <laughs> going on apologies if you can hear that but uh they were great he didn't make them himself he said there's some lovely woman he buys them from down the road yeah oh when i was re-edited well listening through to this i thought about them <laughs> all over again i thought about going back to southall <laughs> from the east to get some more very good <laughs> very it's worth it's worth the long trip on the yep. on the old elizabeth line <laughs> right okay this is uh cool chip barmer <laughs> This is lovely being it's nice, yeah. united again in it your is, lovely yeah, yeah. studio for the first time. It's brilliant. Um, um, if, if at any point I take a picture of you, is that all right? Yeah, just of course. It, it yeah, looks, yeah, yeah. It just looks very good from here. The, yeah, yeah. Well, then I'll take a picture. Yeah, no, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Halfway yeah. through a really important answer. <laughs> no, no, no. I take pictures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, just, I'm I don't really usually do that in, in the middle of a, of a chat, but it's no, just, no, no, no. Do it. Yeah, it yeah. I've got no problem with that. Yeah. This image. Yeah. 
times. Yeah, no, it's, it's bonkers image, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying, so, I mean, we're in your studio. We've recorded, by the way, I thought. I'd okay, cool, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've begun. But um, you, do you think you've got the, the most drums, the most tablers in one place? I think, and I've got about 100 tablers. And uh, I don't think anyone else has got 100 tablers. I mean, not anyone with any sanity. Uh, <laughs> my, most likely a shop, a tabler shop might have 100. Yeah. But I'd even question that. But uh, during during lockdown, I did that Marie Kondo thing where you look at something and go, Do what, does this bring me joy or something? But anyway, yeah. I identified about 30, 32 tablers that I thought I could sell or give away, which I did. And, no joy. Uh, so this this shelf <laughs> this shelf here behind me went was completely empty. So I was really happy about that. And then a week later, my friend Rachel Elliott, who works at Cecil Sharp House, her husband John, who's a tablet player, and she rang me and said, you know, he's passed away, which was really sad news. And she said, before he passed away, he said, um, can you give my tablets to Kulja? I said, I'm very happy to receive those, thinking that there'd be about four. And there were like 42. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) So, you know, when they say out with the old and in with the new, it literally, they were the same thing. Like the the new and the old were just tablets. But anyway, it's good. So now it means I can do tablet workshops for like 40 people at the same time. So they can all have a set of tablets each. Yeah. So that, and that is really good. And it's also good to know that John's, um, spirit is also, you know, yeah, there absolutely. as well, and he he want he would have wanted that as well. Yeah, that's so, yeah. great. Do so, they yeah. each serve a different purpose? Do you, um, <clears throat> are many of them sort of duplicate in terms of you could just use either or, or does each one? Do you are you very specific about which ones you use? They're, they are. I mean, tablas are tabla to be honest, right. but I mean, a guitarist would say that's not true because <laughs> the two guitars aren't exactly the same. But the reason I've got so many is well, partly for the workshop thing, but also they. Um, when you tune a tabla, say you tune a tabla to the note E, mm. it it stays in E, and and then if you say say you uh, somebody then wants to sing a song in F, it's going to take me ten minutes to tune the tabla to the F because I've got to get my little toffee hammer out and uh, yeah. tap it, and it takes ages. So I, uh, when I started working with Andy Shepherd, who's a jazz saxophonist, um, uh, well, it started in Bombay Dreams actually. So each song's in a different key. And uh, so I had I had like twelve tablets on the floor in front of me, right. all tuned to different keys. So, but what came out of that recently, and then one of the reasons and other justifications why I've got so many is uh, um, I now play more than a standard set of tablets. So I, I well, as you saw me play that day, yeah. uh, I, I can make little tunes out of them. So I play like four or five at the same time. So that that's my excuse for having so many. <laughs> that's great. So, but each tabler can. What's the sort of range on that? What how how uh, uh, each tabler? I mean, when you go to a tabler shop, uh, he will ask you what key you want it in, and uh, you can probably tune it um, a tone either way. It it can't go higher than um, an octave above, like middle C. So if you get to an F or a G, uh, that's ma- the maximum it can go. Some get very low, but they're usually special drums that are bigger diameter ones and they can get a sort of sound. Yeah. The other thing, with, as you know, as a, a, as a musician, when you tune something, it takes time to settle, maybe less time with a guitar or something like that. But with a tabla, because it's made of hide and skin and all the straps are made of hide, just a, 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 min- a minor change in temperature or humidity will then uh, throw it out. Mm. Yeah. So that's why if you go to an Indian classical concert, the guy, they will stop in the middle of... It's like to you know to petrol up something. It's a stunning stop and go ding 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 on the on the hammer. Yeah. So there's a lot of tuning involved. Yeah. I read you yeah. saying about getting a round of applause for your tuning on one occasion. Yeah, so I did. It's, yeah, happened, it's happened many times actually. Yeah. So I mean, in fact, when Ravi Shankar first performed in in England, I think Albert Hall, um, the broadsheet said uh, the concert started off with the tabla player making exquisite sounds with a silver hammer. 
<laughs> I said, no, he was just tuning. Yeah. But, you know, when you're ready for sort of magic and mystique, nobody really knows, isn't it? So it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. of course. Right, so, yeah. So, so we've got, there's other instruments here as well. I mean, the, the one I'm looking at there, that these are your general tablers, are they? These are general tablers, yeah. And yeah. you've got more sort of metallic looking bulbous ones. Oh, well, a, t- a tabla uh, is, is a two piece set. Oh, yeah. So a tabla is right. always two drums. One of them is a metallic one, which looks like a small timpani. Hmm. Uh, and then the the other one is a wooden one, which looks like that. It's got a sort of corks in it, to, mm. and it's and it's uh, it's tensioned higher, so it makes more of a a ringing, a, like a pitched tone. Whereas the lower ones make more of a sort of sound, you know. Oh right, of course, um, yeah. So, you, but yeah, it's those two. You always have a metal one, always have a sort of wooden. A wooden one, yeah, and one's slightly larger than the other one, and the larger one also makes a deeper sound, but it also is tuned lower because well, that's why it's got a deeper sound. And the other one is the one that people tune in India. Uh, in right. fact, they don't tune the lower one to a pitch, which is very interesting oh. because it's only if you're playing in a Western environment that they say, what do you tune that to? And then most of the Indians will say, well, we don't tune that one. But what it is a pitch, it goes dong. So it must be a pitch. No, no. And so I sometimes when I play in India, I remind people that that is a pitch. And what would happen if you tuned it properly, suddenly the drum will sing. So it's funny that these things haven't come to um, the forefront because in, in that secluded environment, it wouldn't occur to you. You know, it's like, I don't know, it's like fish don't know they're swimming in water. It's like a very bad analogy. But anyway. <laughs> so it's a bit like that where they, they just don't think that it's uh, that sort of thing happens. And when you go to them and say that, are they receptive to this or they say? Uh, some people go, oh, I, I mean, I, I, some guy says to me, God, I didn't, I didn't, I never even knew that, you know. The other thing which is really amazing, which I'll show you is, um, like if I, if I grab one of these wooden ones here, so this one, these are all colour coded actually. So this is my B flat one because it's pink. <laughs> of course. So I've got all these little yeah, straps around them. Yeah. I mean, it might have gone out of tune, but when I when I play it this way, um, it makes that note. Now I guarantee most tabla players won't know what I'm about to tell you, but when I play it in the middle, I can't even sing. I'm singing, I think I think too an octave too high. But it's basically, isn't it? Yeah. It's two notes. Yeah. It's not one note. No. Yeah. Whereas in India, not to be rude, but they'll say, "No, I have tuned it to B flat. It is B flat." I said, "No, actually, that is not." Yeah. And so, and that's a problem, isn't it? If you're playing with a raga, and it's in B flat, and you're going a tone higher, that's like that's a problem. But people will see uh, because. It's only because I play with Western orchestras and stuff that people, they pointed out to me and it blew my mind as well. I thought, my God, I've never, I go, no. Yeah. It's a different note. I mean, that is mind blowing. Yeah. Um, But as I say, it's only because I'm living in England. I've been living in England all my life, but um, it's only because I've been put against other musicians who question those things. In Mm. India, they don't question it. The lower drum, they don't question the pitch because there's no counterpoint or harmony in Indian classical music. So that low sound is just used to accent rhythms. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's not used as a sort of, but it is a note. Melodic yeah. feature. Yeah. yeah. I guess it's like a, a kick drum on a drum kit. Exactly, exactly. You might not think of the pitch of that. It's just more of a sort of, I don't know, the, the feeling of it or the, the, 
I don't know, it does something to your body or it makes you move. Yeah. It, it signifies the start of the bar or, or whatever. Exactly. It is. But, but there is a pitch to it. Of course there's a pitch to it, it. Yeah. yeah. And you wouldn't think you wouldn't sing along with the bass drum, I mean the pitch, would you? But if you go like I mean if I even if I do this, I've got the cover on it, but yeah. I mean that makes a sound, doesn't it? That's, yeah, not, yeah. that's not a pitch. But if I did this it's like they're different pitches. I'm hitting the chair, by the way. Yeah. So <laughs> Thanks for explaining. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> <laughs> Could have been my leg. No, it's like I'm sort of. So, but then you then you think, oh my god, there is an interval, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, I can't. I don't know what the interval is, but it, there is definitely a difference. And so, the beauty of the tabla are these black spots, and um, it's a weighted compound. Uh, and uh, if they weren't there, they sound like a bongo drum, bink bop, bink bop. Yeah. But because they're there, the sound resonates for longer, and you get that beautiful tone. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's the beauty of the tablet because I mean it's an amazing invention. I don't know who invented that. Uh, it used to be dough. They used to put um, flour and water on the drum to make them sound deeper than they normally would. So historians say that it was the the uh, predecessor of tabla is a drum called nigara, which is right. a war drum. And they, they in fact, it looks, still, still looks a bit like a war tympanum drum. Yeah, yeah. And so they hang it either side of the beast, beast in battle. Um, and the reason for putting the dough in the middle was to make it sound deeper than it. Otherwise, it's going like, bing, bom, bing, bom. we are yeah. coming to attack you. Yeah. doesn't sound very menacing, but like, <laughs> dom, 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 sounds a bit more. And a little snack for later. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Some press, press a Nutri-Grain into, <laughs> into it. Yeah. So rather in, like in classical music, uh, classical setups, do you have people who go back and will learn their period instruments? So they're period tabla players. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, that's interesting. But I think I think tabla's stuck in a period, you know what I mean? So, okay. and, uh, so you everyone... haven't got people with dough? You've not got the dough? There, actually, there are oh, some are people there? with dough. There are. I haven't got any here, but some traditional guys, actually, you're, you're right, there are some traditional guys who still use... Do you know, um, there's a very famous singer who's no longer with us, Nusrat Fatili Khan, his name was, and he was a, he, quite a large Pavarotti-type character. Uh, you would have definitely seen him. And he sang a, a genre of music called kawali with a group of men clapping. It's very mesmeric. I always call it like um, Indian sort of gospel music in a way. So anyway, the tabla player with those troops has dough on the, oh, on the drum. And, 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 and down by it, on the floor, there's like a bowl of like dough. Because it just, it just, it, it, it sort of, <laughs> while he's playing, it, little bits flick off. You know? of <laughs> so I always think about being in the audience in case you get one in your mouth or something. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. don't, don't sing along with those people. Yeah. <laughs> you just get dogs just hanging around. Just, like, just, just <laughs> yeah, picking up Picking at it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that kind of, that, um, the difference in, in mentality between the sort of Western and Eastern playing where you've got um, people that hadn't even considered the, the pitches of things, and mm. and and whereas you're working or collaborating with with people that need to need to play in tune, and and that there's like a a big difference there. Like, but there's lots mm. lots of differences, aren't there? And I think you you really studied that when you were younger. Of like uh, the... Yeah, I mean there there are lots of differences, and as I say, had I been born in India and I lived in India, I might not these questions might not have occurred to me. Mm. But if I'm playing with the string quartet, they'll say, well, what have you tuned it to? I said, I've tuned it to the tonic, I've tuned it to C. And they say, well, actually, no, the composer says, can you tune it to D? And I thought, that's, that's really interesting. You would never do that in India. Um, but it would add a melodic sort of tension to it. Yeah. So you're right. And it's, it, it, those questions, and it all, it all, I mean, even so, just in India, that, for one concert, you don't tune at all. Sorry, all my yeah. chair's being a bit squeaky. So <laughs> if, you, if you hear a squeak, it... <laughs> yeah, at first I didn't want to draw attention it to it in case it was other issues. But, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> no, there we are. <laughs> <laughs>
There we are. Well, it's very well controlled. Back, back. If, if yeah. it is another issue, it's very well controlled. What pitch yeah. is that, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <don't know. laughs> yeah, tuning the chair to it. Well. Sorry, please carry on. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, again, you know, explorations such as that you normally yeah. wouldn't do because it's sort of traditional in India also that it's uh, you learn instruments in an oral tradition yeah. from guru to student. And, um, I mean, guru is an interesting word as well because guru is made up of two words, guru. Gu means darkness, ru means light. So a guru is someone wow. who enlightens you or basically a guru is someone who teaches you. I mean, the ultimate guru is is obviously your spiritual uh, devotee or, the, or God. So in India, when you say guru, there's a sort of respectful way of saying sir or teacher. Whereas in, in in England, if you think of guru, it's like someone that knows the secrets of life, you know, yeah. <laughs> a guy with a long grey beard and sandals. And uh, so I'm, I'm being a bit crass about it, but that that still does that 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 notion is still ingrained in Western society, and I think Western society still think of Indian music as a sort of spiritual spiritual music. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting where, where you really help to make it something that's more accessible for big groups of people. I know you were talking already about uh, workshops you run and things because, yeah, I think there is like a maybe a fear or like a mm. respect thinking, well, I no, better not because I don't want to be disrespectful or yes. do something. And it's funny, isn't it? Because, I mean, I don't think that about my cello. I don't think any of my pupils feel like they're disrespecting the cello when they're playing it. They <laughs> are. They Lots are. of them are. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, it does seem like it's quite tied up in the mentality of the West. That yeah, is. I mean, I have to say I'm, I'm, I'm angry about that. I mean, I don't know why I'm angry because there's no one to be angry to. But I think what happened when I tried to uh, sort of analyse it is if you think about the Beatles uh, mm. and especially the Sgt Pepper album, which is like now 52 years ago, something like that. 50, um, 55, 67. Is it 55? I think it came out 67. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So um, actually not a lot has changed since then with regard... Western attitudes towards indie music, mm. and at that time it was like post Vietnam, and it was love and you know um, hippie sort of uh, era, and so um, and it was the Beatles had their guru, didn't they? Sort of um, when when Indian music came, uh, it got put in this capsule of of being spiritual. I mean, all music spiritual, isn't it? You play the oboe, it's spiritual. You play guitar or hit two bits of wood together, is spiritual. I mean, it can be. Yeah. It's not like Indian music, but I think some some of my friends, uh, my Indian musician friends, would say Indian music is superior to Western music, and that really upsets me when, because it's not true. It's sound, isn't it? But somehow we've sold this notion to the West, and the West have bought it. <laughs> and so the vicious circle keeps... I mean, I remember doing a tabla solo once in Brighton, and, uh, and after I did it, I said a few words, oh, thank you or something. And a woman from the audience said to me, she said, oh, I really loved your performance. And I said, thank you. She said, but you ruined it for me when you started to speak in your London accent. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, she wanted me to speak like this and very spiritual. And so um, it's, yeah, it's strange. I, I think a lot of that comes with tradition, doesn't it? Like we've done it like this, we'll always do it like this and don't question it. Uh, the other thing also with tabla and Indian instruments is you generally you sit on the floor and play, which actually is just... Um, it's just a convenient thing. I mean, if you, you know, if, if there aren't any chairs on the floor. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, you happen to sit cross-legged. And so the moment I think a Western person sees someone sitting cross-legged, they think it's some form of yoga or divine sort of practice or something. So it's all, it's all mixed up in that. And I, mm. I, I want to, anyway, the problem with it is it pushes people away. 
I, everywhere, everywhere I play, people say, oh, my God, where can I get those drums? Or can I, how much are they? 150 quid, that's nothing. I can, you know, where do I get them from? Where do I learn? And then they get put off by the sort of stringent, um, all these stringent practices. And that's one of them, is this sort of uh, the mystical shroud that it has. Uh, and, and also, you know, the way people sit, they sit on the floor. Uh, I mean, supposing, supposing a young lady wants to learn to play the tabla, and she comes for a tabla lesson and she's wearing a skirt. I mean, I do ask some of the guys in India, oh, then we will make an exception for her. Oh, you want to make an exception for a woman? <laughs> I mean, that's really, uh, why do you have to make, you know, it's dodgy yeah. territory. So um, that's why I think that's my mission in my life is to, if I can do that and then I'll die happily, you know, it's just like, I want to see more people playing the drum. It's just a bongo drum, an amazing bongo drum um, and use it, use it in your music. You can play it how you want, you know. Yeah. But isn't there a, a certain sort of um, mystif- mystification? Is that is that the word? A mystery? Or there's a there's, there's so much a mystique. Just, <laughs> mystique. Mystique. <laughs> mystique. Mystique. I like that. Yeah. Isn't there a mystique in the way it's taught usually in in India and the tradition and learning from a guru and it's kind of you you kind of have to go down that route, don't you? You have to go through. I don't know. Is, is there a spiritual side to it there or not really? Is it no, just, no, uh, no, is it just percussion not, lessons? It's just done? a percussion lesson when it's somebody yeah. called a guru. You know what I mean? I mean when you, if you, I know it's a very bad example, but when you learn to drive a car, uh, you have someone who knows what they're talking about, someone that can guide you. And driving a car is really complicated. I mean, there's so many things to look out for, so many pedals and knobs and steering wheels. <laughs> I mean, it's like, yeah. But um, you wouldn't say that was like mystical, would you? Necessarily. No. But... Um, no, there is that. As I say, what you're what you're explaining to me is one of the things that you've bought. Now, have yeah. you seen tabla being taught? No, no. But then that's in your head already from <laughs> yeah. somewhere. So yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what I'm shining a spotlight on. Um, because you were self-taught, right? Did I'm you, self-taught. Yeah, yeah. no, I haven't so got no a, guru. I haven't even got a GCSE in music. No guru. Yeah, I'm guru. Less. No guru, guru less. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking of Intel, Intel inside. You know, like, yeah, there's no guru inside. So it's um, yeah. I'm just really curious about stuff, and uh, and I've got I'm very good with my hands and my mind. So if I can see how something's done, I can I can do it yeah. most of the times. So were you observing other people playing then when you were starting? Because how old were you when you? Started? I was about three or four. My mum says when I started to oh. play, and my mum's a singer actually. Yeah. Um, she still sings in the community. Um, and uh, in those days, there weren't any tabla players to accompany her. So my dad tried to learn, but my dad's sort of very scientific. It's like, um, you know, he would learn he would learn the theory, but then he's no good at the practice. <laughs> Whereas I, to blow my own trumpet or play my own tabla, whatever the phrase is, <laughs> I, I'm very good at um, practical stuff. So all my learning has come from working in the field. I've, luck- I've been lucky enough to be thrown into like crazy projects. And I say, yeah, I... I just say yes, because if you think I can do it, then I'll do it. Because I don't think maybe I can do it, but if you've got trust in me, I'll learn how to do it. And that's my whole life's been like that, like from production to composing to arranging to like reading music. So I'm just like really hungry for knowledge. So, I, yeah, you're right. I didn't have a guru, and which is probably why I'm slightly outside of the box for a lot of people from that tradition and, and maybe like a troublemaker to some people as well, and maybe a rebel. I don't really know. Or maybe like breaking down a wall, though, actually. Like, uh, yeah, I'd like to think of it as breaking yeah. down. I mean, if I, mm. you know, I, every year I teach at the Purcell School of Music, every year 70 young kids between 13 and 17 year old, they learn to write for tabla. I've been doing that for like 14 years. 
So over like a thousand young people. And for them, it's like, oh, it's a tabla. It's a drum. Whereas people of our age, maybe of your age, would have these have all this mixed up notion of oh isn't it really spiritual and am I allowed to touch it and do I need to sit cross legged or do I need to say a prayer or something before I play it and <laughs> you know and I'm joking but it's true yeah yeah so uh, I I um there's a respect for all instruments I mean you're not going to jump up and down on the cello are you it's it's fragile probably more fragile than a tabla so there is a certain sort of etiquette or a certain respect that you have for the instrument and for playing it but it's not um. It shouldn't keep you away from learning the instrument. No. And I just, I'm really upset that you think of tablet player or a sitar player, you think of an Indian person, not a white person. Well, you might think of George Harrison. Yeah. Well, that's mm. one. Yeah, yeah. Name another one. I can probably name three or four with a gun to my head, but three or four. That's, that's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But when you, when you were beginning, I mean, I guess you were just playing it from, from a, such an early age, right? Because it was just... Because your mum was touring, was she? And you, you were, you just started playing with her and your your brothers as well, right? Yeah. And so you were just sort of straight into the business, almost, um, kind of mm. just working. It wasn't like you're doing a youth orchestra or anything, or like um, might, some people might do that to, until they become a professional. But you were just sort of getting on with it. But you, you were you doing a mixture of? Were you playing with like more you know, Western ensembles or groups, or was it? You know, in Southall, were there a lot of things where you're playing in actually more of an Indian style at parties and and like I mean, weddings the, and all things? of the bit. I mean, you say we, I went straight into the business, which is true, but we we were never encouraged to take it as a as a career. It was, it was never going to be a career. You right. Know, you need a we need a pro, you need a proper job. Um, I end up having I did end up having a proper job, but we were never in the business, so to speak. I think my mum always saw it as a community service mm, yeah, yeah. so where we played were mostly weddings and uh, if you think of the time the 1970s um i mean first of all if you went to an if you go to an indian wedding now then if you've been to an indian wedding but it's a huge affair and there's yeah, a there's yeah, a yeah. dance floor you have to dance yeah in in the 1970s or even 19 early 1980s there was no dance floor at a punjabi wedding now if i say that to right. young indians they'll say this can't be true it's not possible <laughs> No, and also the men and women didn't sit together. That's nah, not possible. <laughs> the women were, were off somewhere else. No, the men would sit down with the drinks and then we would sing songs that were um, uh, like folk songs, but they weren't dance songs. They were like um, folklore song tales, romantic tales. Uh, they weren't designed to dance. In fact, there was, and I've challenged many people with this question, there were no Punjabi songs before 1979 which, in which the lyrics said, come and dance. God. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. And now what happened? Now, it, I can ask you a question. What in England, what was happening in 1979? I mean, well, in terms of I mean, like, you'd had all the disco. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. Saturday Night Fever yeah. came out yeah. in 1979. Yeah. 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 So we, we my mum was conducting the Indian weddings. And then we used to sing a few songs afterwards to the men. And... Um, then pe there were people who were tapping their feet. So I used to watch, I'm very observant, you know, I used to watch people tapping their feet and I used to say to mum, Let, let's sing that song in that rhythm. And she said, no, it's a sad song. I said, just sing it. So we said, sing it. And then we used to get them on the floor. And then once we got the men on the floor, after they'd had a few beers, <laughs> uh, they would, we could get, keep them on the floor. And then it was my mum who said to the women looking through the open door, come in and you can have a dance too. I mean, the, the men hated it. But uh, and so the men would sit down, and my mom would say, "Look, let's let's have a few songs for the women." But you're right. At that time, 
because disco was in the air, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't really think of disco. I always think of like white, you know, men in white suits and stuff. Yeah, yeah in fact, exactly what I'm visualising. Yeah, <laughs> but if you look at the, the original Bangra vans, they all dress like that. Mm. They're all dressed like John John Travolta, mm. sequin shirts and like you know white 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 trousers. Red underpants sometimes, but shining <laughs> through the white trousers. But uh, anyway, so it was um, that was the time when people wanted to dance, and I think all that that whole environment created the dance floor, you know. And wow. it was then we started to write lyrics. There, there was a song in 1978 called "Giddy Andirani which means uh, "Dancing Queen, come and show us on the floor." Yeah, you know, show us your dance. And that was the first song ever that had lyrics in it, Punjabi song. Oh my god! And then, then local bands started to write songs with dance lyrics in, and that's how Bangra wow. got got created. You know, Bangra is a UK invention. Bangra music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what was the instrumentation back then? It was um, if you went to Birmingham and the West Midlands, it was very different. And in London, it was very different. In in Birmingham and um, in the Midlands, they'd have like very a tabla. A dolok, which is like a log drum, um, mm. a hand played with your hands, um, and very like a like a, an accordion or maybe just a, a synth, a keyboard or something. Yeah. Very simple. Um, people like myself in the London area, we um, we started to mix things up a little bit. So I wanted to, because I used to wonder um, when I used to listen to the radio, I used to think, why doesn't my mum's record sound like Michael Jackson's? I mean, obviously. There are the obvious reasons why she doesn't sound like Michael Jackson. <laughs> but I, what I was talking about was the sound. So my mum's records that we made in 1976 or 1977, um, they'd played them on the radio, uh, BBC, um, and then they'd play a Western pop song. And I thought, God, why does it sound? What's missing? So I began to explore. I mean, there was, there was no bass line. There was no kick drum. Those are the things that make you dance. Yeah. Um, and so then I started to mix those instruments. And because we had multi-track tape machines, you could layer things. I, could, I had a knack of playing lots of instruments, so I just layered things. Um, and it started to sound a bit meatier, you know, <laughs> so you could dance to the music even if you perhaps didn't like the song. It would make you dance. The sound would make you dance. Um, so I began to explore those things. And there were also um, problems with that as well. So the tabla... The bass drummer, the tabla, the, the metal drum, operates in the same range as the bass guitar. Hmm. So you, it's very difficult to have both. So I began to arrange the bass guitar so that it didn't interfere with the tabla, or I would EQ them so that they sat in a different place. So I began to explore all these things. You know, we never solution to something. You have like another 10 million problems, don't yes. you? Yes. <laughs> so, but I really enjoyed that. And, and a lot of my... Um, Original recordings, I mean, they sound terrible when I hear them now. A lot of them are terrible from a sort of, a, I think, from a compositional side. But they were hits. <laughs> I mean, I've got, you know, platin uh, John Peel used to play some of my stuff. Did he? Wow. Uh, and then uh, I've got a platinum disc that he presented to me. Wow. So they were doing well, you know. I mean, even though I, I, I really, they're not compositional masterpieces in any way, but they were hit songs and they got people on the dance floor. Yeah. And they had that punch to them. Yeah. So yeah. So I just began this lifelong exploration of mixing, and now I've become the sort of one of the go-to guys for mixing things together. You know, I recently worked on a Chinese computer game. Oh yeah, you were. And there was like a yeah. duduk and kanoon and santur and tabla and uh, nei. You know, like a mix of instruments you would never ever have in the same room. Some from the Middle East, some from Turkey, some from India. 
And so it needed somebody to know how to communicate with those musicians. And I was the guy. And I thought, my God, yeah, that is what I'm probably good at. It's just because I, I like getting people together and yeah. playing music. Hmm. Yeah, but because I imagine like the you know, people that are playing tableau in India, they, they wouldn't really know what if someone they wouldn't know if they had to go to a recording studio and follow music and so I would dropping in two bars before here like they probably just they wouldn't have the experience to know it but whereas I guess you've grown up here and you've you just sort of picked it all up and uh, mm. and yeah of course that that's that's why you sort of had that success mm. sorry <laughs> <laughs> it's okay <laughs> have another samosa yeah. <laughs> um, I suppose so and I think also. Um, you know, because it's an oral tradition in India, everyone's training to be a soloist. You're not training to be an ensemble player. Right. Okay. So the idea of playing in a quartet or an orchestra as a sort of single unit voice, that's quite foreign. Yeah. Everyone's out to sort of become a soloist and therefore everyone's out to compete with each other. And then you've got Ravi Shankar, then you've got Vayat Khan, and you might have Imrith Khan. So they're all gurus or maestros, but they're all they're all doing the same thing. And so I think what happens sometimes is the the beautiful sounds of the instruments get forgotten about and they focus more on the wowing nature. Um, I sometimes joke about uh, you'd never get a jazz drummer coming up on stage, you know, a round of applause, yeah, da, da, da. Tom Smith. He could go to the microphone and he wouldn't go, umpa, 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 pa, 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 umpa, umpa, pa. And then play. You would never get a round of applause for that. But an Indian guy, wow, it's amazing. Yeah, I just said something and then played it. Um, I know I'm I'm sort of dissing it in a way, but it's like, yeah, it sounds great in the West because the the language is quite interesting, but it wasn't really anything. And um, and then okay, well, I'll do it again faster. It's like okay, well, yeah, it's. It's it's okay. It's not really what I would call. You're not really making music. It's wowing, and I think if you listen to a lot of Indian music, it's very wowing, and the, and the performers will look at you in the eye and make sure you're wowed. You know, <laughs> oh, very good. <laughs> but they uh, the, the idea of actually not playing for three bars is very foreign. So when I work with I worked with some Arabic musicians in Bahrain, and and it's very similar in the Middle East. So I, and the composer said to me, can you have a word with the musicians just because bar nine to bar 33, we don't play. So I sat down in the in the cafe and said, okay, guys, so bar nine to bar 33, we don't, we don't play? I said, no, no, you, you don't play. Oh, no, we will play. I said, no, no, you, he, he, he doesn't want you to play. Why, why I don't play? You book me, I don't play. I said, yeah, I know, but it's not about, um, it's not personal. It's just, uh, no, no, we will play something very nice. I said, no, I, 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 know, I know it's going to be very nice, but in that part... Um, <laughs> The composer doesn't want you to play. Okay. So it's like I don't understand. I said, look, look at it this way: you're getting paid, yes, and you're not going to you're not going to play in that bit. So you're getting paid for not playing. Okay, we don't play. <laughs> so and then when that bit came in the orchestra, I went, you know, I gave them a signal: don't play. And they all went, we don't play. <laughs> and they're like counting money. You know, it's like that's the only way they could. So the the point I'm making is the 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 idea of not playing is foreign because if you're a soloist you're playing your own composition. The idea of playing <clears throat> someone else's composition, that's very mm. foreign. 
So like I'm going to play what you want. Now, when I do film soundtracks, literally I'm playing like 0.01% of what I need in time. I'm going like, ding, ding, ding. Wait for 10 bars. Ding. Here's your money. Thank you very much. Yeah. So I feel all my mates are missing out on, yeah. that, on that work because <laughs> it's a no-brainer. Yeah. But actually it takes a lot of effort to not play if you're a soloist. Yeah. And <clears throat> like you were saying to us about the kind of, you know, Western people being intimidated by the prospect of learning tabla. I wonder if there's an intimidating thing for yes. Eastern musicians then going into a film session or something and thinking, you know, that kind of different setup with it being so regimented and mm. and, and play here and you won't play here. I mean, mm. it probably seems a little intimidating. I, guess. I think it's intimidating. And I think I've also noted it, noticed it being intimidating for, like uh, my friend Nikki Holland, she plays oboe in, in Wicked. She's in the West yeah. End. She's an amazing, one of the top oboe players in the country. And when I first met her, uh, and I said, wow, that's an amazing instrument. She said, yeah. I said, can you just play a bit for me? And she went bright red. And I, and I, and I, and I said, um, you don't have to play for them once it, you know, I sort of backpedaled a little bit. She said, no, I just, if you give me some music, I'll play. And I said, can't you just play something? And she, not really, she wanted yeah. the music. So some orchestral players can't play, you know, soloistically. And, and then, as you say, conversely, some <coughs> soloists can't play in a sort of more disciplined fashion. Yeah. And that idea of, you know, which is why I wanted to, when I was in Bombay Dreams in the West End, um, the Android Webber's team said to me, you need to have, um, we need to find four deputies that can replace you. And I said, no, I'll, I'll do every show. <laughs> and they said, no, we, we don't want you to do every show. <laughs> we want you to take time off. And I said, no, no, I'll do it. And so <clears throat> I had to write down in a way that another tabla player would play identically and that again because everyone's a soloist you don't want to be like anyone else you want to be like yourself so that that was a big problem and that was part of the learning process really mm. um, how do you play something that someone else wants you to play rather than what you want to play did wow. you consult on Bombay Dream so when it at the beginning when he was composing it um, how much was your input? No, I had no. I, there was no consultation, and also I think a lot of composers and arrangers are embarrassed to admit um, that maybe they don't know how to write for tabla. <clears throat> so I ended up having a sort of secret sort of uh, <laughs> love affair with the guys, like well, not not a love affair, but a sort of um, Evangelo Weber. <laughs> You heard it, <laughs> heard it here first. <laughs> this is, yeah. This is great. Yeah, yeah. No, I didn't have a secret love for Angela Weber, no. But um, there was a, you have a sort of a, a secret pact where you sort of work on it together in a way. Uh, and then throughout the show, I, 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 I kept working on the score so that it was... And then later on, I began to. Uh, um, so I'm now laughing at the fact of having a secret, a secret affair with Angela Weber. But, um, <laughs> you know we're going to run with yeah, that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's going to be, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, but yeah, no, I think there is, um, you can't write music down anyway, can you, in a way? If you, if you, you can't really write music down. You can indicate what, mm, I know what you, you still have to have a conversation with a musician. Yeah. But with a foreign instrument, like sitar or tabla or duduk or santur, you have to have a conversation with them. And sometimes in the West End, in fact, many times in the West End, there's no time. They have a band call for a week mm. and then you're on stage. So you just go with it. And so they, they have to find people that are going to do what they think they're going to like. So it's going to be me or someone else, maybe one or, one or two other people. Yeah. So had 
I mean, was was an AR Rahman involved in that as well? Yeah, uh, the music was by by AR Rahman. Andrew Andrew River sort of produced it, right? Um, and there was also an arranger uh, involved as well. So there's mm. like a whole musical team. When I worked on the Far Pavilions, the arranger, lovely man John Cameron, he had all these sort of sitar effects and samples in the keyboard. It was they were like chicken biryani moments, as I call them, like <laughs> you know, like a sort of Vesta food advert or something. And um, I'd always uh, and they. For all intents and purposes, they sort of did their job, but I noticed that they were the wrong chord. So there's like a beautiful composition, an arrangement by John himself, and then suddenly, and I say, John, by the way, what is it now? Is it the wrong time of day for this raga? <laughs> and I said, well, no, it's just like we can change the notes. And all oh, right, then you know. So he he became a really good good friend of mine, and uh, but I, I was uh, I was a bit of a pain, but I wanted it to be right, you know. Yeah, yeah. If you got a show about India, you want Indians to. Enjoy it, unless you're looking at it from a white point of view, which is a bit disturbing if you yeah. do that. Yeah. So there's enough Indians in, in England to make a show successful. Yeah. Let's get them in. Yeah, yeah quite. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. But like for the first band calls, I mean, was that the first time you were involved in like Bombay Dreams, for example? Like, did you... Did you have any music to look at, or were you just listening and say, "Could you just come up with some stuff and then?" Yeah, no, try I had, and uh, no, it, I, the reason I'm giggling to myself is because I didn't know anything about theatre. So I, I was uh, performing with Andy Shepherd in Pizza Express, yeah. in the jazz club in Dean Street, yeah, yeah. and um, there was a drummer friend of mine called Paul Clavis, and he came with uh, a woman called Sylvia Addison. Yeah. And yeah. Sylvia, do you know Sylvia? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Sylvia. Um, came to, he just dragged her along because they're doing a sound check for Bombay Dreams and they were trying to figure out whether they could position drummers on the stage without it feeding back. So Paul plays a bit of tabla and other drum kits and he, he, so, and he was playing with me at the gig. So he came and Sylvia was in the audience and after, after the, um, the first half, she came up to me, she said, I want you for a show. And I said, yeah, no problem. Now, I didn't know what a show, what a show was. I've never, <laughs> I'd never went to the theatre. So they booked me for this show and I'd heard of Angela Lloyd Webber but again I didn't really know anything about that scene so when she booked me for the show I thought it was one show <laughs> <laughs> and honestly it was only when I got there that I thought oh my god it's you mean like there's more than one <laughs> <laughs> so that was mind blowing for me but um, uh, yeah anyway so I, uh, and then I couldn't do press night and stuff like that it was very very complicated because I just thought it was one show you know. but um to answer your question, I th- there was something written out uh, on a on a five line stave, and there was a, an idea, and and I think we had um, like a MIDI version of the uh, of the of what we were supposed to play, but um, 
Yeah, we took it to obviously we took it to another level because we made it sound real and authentic. But yeah, something was written out, and at that time I couldn't read music anyway. So I mean, I'm still not a great reader, but at that time I had to figure out what it all meant and everything. And why was it on five lanes, five lines when there were two drums and all that? It was very complicated. Yeah, it was again as I mentioned earlier on, it was like being thrown in in the deep end. You know, hats off to Sylvia. She's a really good friend of mine still. She just thought I could do it, so. She thought I could do it, so I thought, okay, I'll do it. <laughs> so you did. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. But I guess you get that a lot when you're doing like a film session and maybe maybe the composers put on some loops from from some, you know, plug um, you know, a, a what would you call it? A library of um, yeah, yeah. Of samples. percussion samples. Mm. And maybe they've just they've put it on and that's basically what they want, but yeah. they need live musicians. Mm. Uh, they need live performance. So what do you do in that situation? Would you kind of listen to that and Try and just do your own version, or or would you there, get something written out? Yeah, I mean, um, <clears throat> there's there are a few. I started with James Horner, who's no longer with us, and he did the music. Mm. I mean, he's like yeah. did music for like yeah. uh, Titanic and stuff. Yeah. Didn't he? Actually, the the it, just thinking about it, I think the Hollywood guys didn't really have a a loop before. I think they just wanted uh, me to just play something, and they and they talked to me. Stephen Warbeck is another friend of mine, who's mm. lovely, and he would just know that I'm going to play. He will write something out and he'll say, cool, just ignore the music. <laughs> uh, and I mean, I don't ignore it, but I look at it. And, and uh, But I think when I work with perhaps album producers, they will have a loop, uh, maybe. The, the other side of that scenario is some composers, they fall in love with their loops. <laughs> We're back on love again. Um, <laughs> and so when the real instruments are put on, they, they have difficulty because they've heard it so many, they've heard their yeah. loop so many times, uh, and most common thing is like, uh, oh, can you can you do that? I said, no. Well, it it says on Contact Player that you can do. It. I said, yeah, Contact Player is wrong. I mean, it's not wrong. Yeah, Contact Player might tell you the range of an instrument is like three octaves, but that instrument's only got a range of an octave. Contact Player has got like four instruments, for example. So yeah, I I think yeah. I mean, to answer your question, the, the the big film guys generally write something out, or and then I'll then I'll play it, and then we'll have a conversation about it. Albums and stuff like that. Some people generally tend to use loops, uh, and you can get good loops and stuff like that. But again, the tuning, the tuning thing is the, is one of the most amazing things. That, that's that's like a really def- defined pitch, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, um, just like uh, I mean, I, I'm digressing slightly, but I worked with a salsa band once. And the conga player was going on the congas. And I thought, they're notes. Um, why don't you sing the song so those notes make sense in the song? Yeah. It'll come alive. No, no, we don't do that. I said, well, just, why can we just try it? So we did it. We trans- uh, he didn't want to retune his congas. So we transposed the song so that it fitted. It was like, I'm like for me, that was heaven. Now, really, yeah. for them, that, it, they might, have no- might not have noticed the difference. But, I mean, uh, the point I'm making with the tabla is... To ignore the melodic side of it would be, I think, it's not it's not just a drum, and you could use that to create harmony or dissonance. In fact, I could even play three bars on that and go to another drum. I could change. I could yeah. follow the chords, you know. So composers still, many composers, still don't know that. So again, it's not just about playing tablets; it's about educating people in how in what the drums are able to do yeah it's a two-piece drum but there's no reason there's no reason why you can't have another two there so when the when the piece modulates or transposes i can go to another one i could even go to a pitch that 
as a composer, you think is going to add to the chord of your piece in a beautiful way yeah. that my that in my head might be a bit weird or might not be in my imagination. So why don't you use that to your advantage? Um, so that I don't think you could find. It's very hard to find anyone that's done that right now, even even 2021. Yeah, I was going to ask if there's a development now you're seeing from composers you've worked with early on, now that you're sort of giving, feeding this information to them and they're working with Tabla mm. more. Are you seeing sort of better writing coming Yes, away? yeah, there are. There are. I think there's, um, it's about the courage, as you mentioned yeah. earlier on, you know, it's about, it's about inspiring people with the courage. It's like, okay to, it's okay to play, have a go, it's a drum and it's okay to write for it. So for some reason, that, that accessibility or that, that door was never open fully. And so now, especially at the Purcell School of Music, I mean, mm. I get young kids who are writing incredible stuff. You know, and I'm, there's some people who just want one, one drum. Now, if in India, if you said that to somebody, just bring one drum. Oh, I know I'll play two. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, no dis, again, no disrespect. It's just, why, why would, you know, this is how we do it in India. I know that's how you do it in India. We're not in India. Also, what about this? This is like an exciting thing. Hmm. Supposing your raga modulated and it wasn't in C sharp for three hours. And, and maybe, okay, maybe the sitar stayed the same. Maybe the tabla could go to a third or a fifth or a seventh or something. That would add a completely new color. So these things are really, they would go against the grain of many people and many people would get upset. The guys that get upset with me, who, who, the, who are the ones that I know about, <laughs> they would... Um, they would say something like, you don't destroy our tradition. And um, I, I hear what they're saying. Um, I mean, I, I also say, look, if you, if you overnight removed all tablets from planet Earth, your tradition is not going to disappear, is it? It doesn't rest on a bongo drum. I, I hear what you're saying. It's, it's part of a tradition. And, and I think also um, what's, what I find fascinating is when I go to Mumbai or India, which I do like twice a year, they're so open-minded to this stuff. Um, yeah. In England, the Indians are more protective of their culture. So they become like more narrow-minded because they're in a sort of foreign country. But, you know, if you speak to my son, he's not in a, he was born here. He's not in a foreign country. No. But then if he... Say he speaks to my, my parents, they might want him to sort of protect a certain notion that they had. I mean, no one's going to lose their culture. In, in, what, you can have tea and coffee, can't you? It's not like tea's better than coffee. They can exist. In the Western world, you've got soloists and ensemble players. Mm. In India, we just have soloists. We're the ensemble players. So they don't have any, there's no tabla ensemble? Or there's no tabla ensemble. I mean, write, you can write a piece for three tablas. It'd be incredible. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it'd be like a sort of an amazing, like modern. But also, when you do get a group of people playing together, they're all soloists. <laughs> so everyone's vying for the space. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, l listen, I'm sure there are little pockets somewhere where there might be. But um, if you go to the Mumbai Symphony Orchestra, which is made up mostly of like East Europeans and British people, yeah. Yeah. It, that orchestra, um, I wouldn't say, is comparable to like a, a, a British orchestra where they're playing as a unit, as a unit sound. And the, the focus, especially with tabla and, and Indian instruments, is how fast you play and how amazing you are. But you could just, just, you could just do that. And you could get so much enjoyment just from that. You don't need to, like, 
show off. But there's, I think because we've sold to the West for so many years, we've all become show offs. So I try to say, listen, show off the sound. You don't need to show off. I mean, after playing really fast for 10 minutes, what will you do then? can't play any faster, can you? <laughs> you know, what will you do after that? I don't know, somersaults or something or headstands. I don't know, what will you do? You can't go any far. Oh, I'll play faster. <laughs> I don't you can't go. Okay. I mean, it's, it's not about that, is it? No. So. so are you seeing people incorporate these into drum kits and like drummers doing that? And, and would they would they hit them with sticks maybe? Or yeah, that, that's a very good question actually. That? Yeah, I... A lot, some of my drummer friends do say, can I hit it with a stick? Now, if you hit the tablet with a stick, it will, it will destroy it. Huh. Because this paste is destroy very fragile. Yeah. And <laughs> it just... It, <laughs> what do you say? I said, destroy the stick. It's like... <laughs> yeah. Tablet's too powerful. Stick. You can't. Yeah, yeah, destroy the, the, yeah, yeah, the magic. <laughs> yeah, the magic spell will destroy the stick. Yeah. Um, no, you you you'll break. Uh, I mean, even in schools, I've seen kids like pick pick off this this paste. You know, um, it's very tasty. <laughs> yeah, better than bogies. Yeah, but I, I think it's just um, if you hit it with a stick, I think you you'll, you'll destroy it. Yeah. But there are some drummers. You know, Seb Rochford is a good friend of mine. Paul oh, yeah. Clavis, who I mentioned earlier on, they're, they're tablet players, and they. I mean, obviously, you have to put the sticks down before you go to the tabla, so you can't play them integrated. But I, I um, you probably know this, but I, I worked with, um, I've got a business where I created an electronic tabla. Yes. And oh, yes. Uh, so the, one of the reasons for cr- inventing that was to, well, to make it more accessible, but also I thought drummers could actually, it, it, could, it could, you see, if you're playing drum kit, where do you put a tabla? I mean, it's, it's... It, you, could, you can't put it know, in your lap. I mean, when you, or where would you put it? Pop you, it around near the toms somewhere. But where? How would you mount but, it? Yeah, I mean, so, I you know, know. yeah. What? What? Yeah. Don't yeah. Know. So you wouldn't put it. On, you wouldn't What's put on the, on the bottom of it? Have you got? Is it just hollow on the bottom? Or? No, no. It's, clo- it's a closed it's bottom. Closed. <laughs> right. So do you need a little table, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Which is, where would you put it in a drum kit? No, if you had a little table, yeah. just an assistant to put it's it a, in their lap. Sit in front of you. But I mean, ergonomically, or the point I'm making, it's difficult. You could put it on a table, or I'm sure you could mount it somehow. But then it's not, it's not, the volume of it is not comparable to a drum kit. So if you're doing a bit with beaters or with your hands, then maybe you go to tabla. But um, so, yeah, I, I, think, I think the sound's great and, and all drummers want to hit it with a drumstick. But um, it, it's still, I think we've still got a long way to go before that it's not considered blasphemous. You know what I mean? Because yeah. the, the gate holders of tradition will step in and say, no, this is not correct, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I mean, what is correct? It's a really, a, it's a strange notion. Well, did you have that when you when you started constructing the electric tabla? Were you wary of uh, the response you might get? To yeah, that? yeah. I mean, we we did a prototype, and I made a video that went viral. I mean, it's like probably on five million now, and it went viral. Um, and we weren't even ready to sell it, but we started to sell it because people wanted it, and in fact, it was ready to sell. But, uh, and, and uh, it went viral in India, you know, I mean, it's like, so people, many people are like, my God, it's three kilograms, it's a normal tabla weighs 10 kilograms, and we can, you can tune it without the hammer, you can just turn a knob, and it's got sample, I've sampled all these tablas that were in there, and you have to play it like a tabla, but there are some guys who really got offended by it. Um, some guys were like, you, you'll, what about, the, you're destroying the jobs of tabla makers, and um, you're destroying the tradition, and um, all that sort of stuff. So I, I did reply to some comments that of, of people that I thought could enter a debate, but it did wind some people up a lot. But I mean, you know, when they invented the electric guitar, didn't someone come on stage and like cut the cables when Bob Dylan was playing <laughs> with an axe? Someone came up with an axe and chopped all the cables. It's a true story. Oh, okay. Wow. So some people get, you know, because when you really precious of, if you hold this, this instrument as 
a cultural sort of um, icon. I mean, no one's going to take this away. I, no. I, I hope that from the electronic right. tabla, more people learn about tabla. In fact, four of the people that have bought the electronic tabla have gone and buy, bought an acoustic set as well. Yeah. So it, it is like an, a, an electric tabla to an, elect, uh, an acoustic, uh, sorry, an electric guitar to an acoustic guitar. Yeah, like electric cellos. Yeah. Mm. And I hope it, 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 you know, and people aren't scared of it because it's sort of, uh, it doesn't look like an antique thing. That, I haven't got one oh, here. I'm so just yeah. See if I can yeah, no, there's yeah. one here actually. Yeah. But it looks, it's basically like a sort of, like a plank of wood, really. Well, no, it's, it's a nice looking plank of wood, yeah. but it's a shallow tabla. And we made it so that you have to play it like a tabla. So you have to still learn the techniques, just like an electric guitar to an uh, acoustic guitar. But then what it can do is, I mean, I, it, it can do much more than I ever imagined. Um, it's got MIDI in it. So I, yeah. I was, um, I, when I play with Beatrice Dillon, first of all, I can turn the volume up to 11 because <laughs> it doesn't yeah. feed back. There's no microphone. So it's like you're going, I'm suddenly a rock tableau god, yes. you know, on stage. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it, that's amazing. And then secondly, uh, I can tune um, both drums, you know, with the dial. Um, I've, I, there's 15 sound banks in it, so I can change instruments. And then it's got MIDI. Now, I didn't expect the MIDI to be so uh, another avenue of exploration because when you learn tabla, it, it, takes, it takes time to, to learn those techniques. Some people spend all their lives doing it, but it takes quite a while to get those techniques under your fingers, so to speak. Uh, and when, once you've learned to play tabla, you can't do that anywhere else. I mean, you could do it on a, on a dining table, but you couldn't, you couldn't do it on another instrument. But with electronic tabla, you can use those techniques and control MIDI synths with that. So yeah. it's like anything, you know, you make your own sound in Ableton or anything, and yeah. then suddenly you've got all those, you know, and it's phenomenal. It's just infinite possibilities. It's incredible, yeah. That's amazing. yeah. And there are guys... Uh, there are, you know, YouTube videos of guys using the MIDI capability because they play Tableau already and they just plug it into a computer. They've got their own synth sets and they're just going, they're using Tableau technique to, to trigger those. So, though, I mean, that's going to create brand new sort of music, which yeah. I, I never even imagined that would happen, you know. Yeah. Yeah, have lots of people bought this. We sold about 73 so far. Yeah. But we've avoided India because in, there's a massive demand in India and right. it's too expensive for India at the moment. So we're doing. We will launch there at the end of this year, and we've made yeah. a um, a more affordable model for for the Indian market. But they're, I think, they're more hungry for it than people outside. Yeah, it could you know. start going insane, yeah. couldn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because everyone, you know, once you've learned that stuff, yeah, imagine just plugging plugging that in and just triggering loads of stuff. You can loop things. You can you can go from like yeah. Dorlak to Tabla to yeah. Clay Pot, and it's incredible. And composers getting onto this, are they? Have they? Have you started seeing? It yeah, no, I haven't. Uh, I haven't seen composers get onto it yet. Um, I uh, when I was working um, on Bender Light Beckham with Howard Goodall, he was also very uh, supportive of it as well. And, and one of the, because he would say, "How do I write for tabla?" And so my notation system was still in development then. But one idea that I had was that if if he had one. He could play it in very badly. I mean, no disrespect to, respect to Howard, but <laughs> he could he could sort of you know play a rhythm, and uh, if you connect it to a computer, it prints out my notation. So if there's do you, do you know Dorico? Yeah, I yeah, use that one. Yeah. So Dorico has got my notation in it. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So if you go to Tabla, my Tabla clef comes up, and you could play you could play it in on your keyboard or the laptop, but you could also play it in on Tabla Touch as well. Oh, this has got massive yeah. legs, hasn't it? This. Yeah. yeah. I mean. You're like the next few years, it's gonna yeah, it'll explode. It's explode, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Are you See, prepared? the other <laughs> uh, yeah, well, probably <laughs> not actually. But the other yeah. thing, uh, the other advantage <clears throat> of this is um, 
You see, when you learn oboe or recorder or cello, uh, you do your grading exams. Yeah. And the people who examine you are bona fide examiners. So then there's a grading system that's understood everywhere. We all know that. In India, music's not taught in schools. So the whole, all music's taught by um, these maestros who are, um, and they teach outside of school time. Now, there are no, there's no way of adjudicating how far you've got. Uh, and I, well, your teacher might say, yes, you're on level three. I mean, he wouldn't say that because we're on a level three, but he would. He he might say, "This bit's good." It's <laughs> going. <laughs> <laughs> but the, yeah. but you see, you go. You don't get as a young child. You don't go. You don't go home with a certificate that you can show you that you can feel proud of. There's no universal judging system because nobody really knows uh, how to judge it. So now, Jolie Craig, uh, who's a drummer and an orchestral percussionist, and she learned tabla from me. She. Um, did her master's degree at uh, Royal College of Music. And for her recital, she said, I'd like to play a short piece on tabla. So the examiners said, no, because we don't, um, we don't know what you're doing and we don't, know, we don't know how to judge it. And she said, supposing I gave you a score? And they said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so she wrote a piece for two tablas and she performed it. And that was the first time in history and they had a score. So that's that's what opens up with the notation, which I also didn't dream of before. And um, we're now talking to. Have you heard of MTB? There. Oh, uh, is that the um, new examining? That's the exam examining board where I think they're great. Yeah, yeah, it's really so good. So students can then record their recitals and get it judged online, rather than sort of stress out when maybe you're not ready to go and you have to drive yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. So they're they're opening up in India. But anyway, what the point I'm making is, when you have notation, then you can encourage people to reach certain stages, you know, so you can have grade one tablet. I mean, there isn't a grade one tablet at the moment, which is ridiculous. How, how, how is a student going to know whether they're doing well or not? So there's no sort of um, congratulations, you got to grade one or grade two. It's like, oh, no, uh, you go home to your mum and dad and say, my, my guru said I'm doing well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, which yeah. is not the same thing as like, well, a year later. My guru says I'm doing better. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They say, yeah I'm on grade seven. I'm on grade it's eight. Plateaued. I've achieved this. Yeah, There's some people uh, just work better with they've got things to aim for, goals. Like I think doing so. Exams and and also just um, I know it's not not traditional to have notation for something like that, but mm. but some people might be happy just working at home on their own, looking at the notation, mm. and learning it on their own, sort of teaching themselves from that. From, from books, if there, if there are any I hope so, yeah. Books and... Hmm. and also because of because we've all been through lockdown, haven't we? The whole planet has. Yeah, we've all we've all spent time on our own and with our laptops, and and those uh, maybe there's a new generation of people that are self sufficient, and um, and also you know what you don't no one's saying we're going to throw the old system away. The traditional system will still be there, of course. Yeah. But this is a choice. The other thing also in India is because all virtuosos play their own stuff, they write their own stuff. And it's passed. A lot of it's passed down from their their masters. Supposing you're a musician, like my friend an oboe player, Nikki. Supposing you're someone who says, "I want to learn the instrument, but I don't want to be a composer. I'll play what you tell me to play." Yeah. Now in India, we don't have that. No. So in India, the assumption is you're going to learn to play the instrument, and then you're going to learn what to play on it in your own unique way, which is great. Yeah. But then it's only one thing. And 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 those people don't get booked for the film sessions that I do. <laughs> <laughs> keep it to yourself. Which is sad. No, no, yeah, I don't want to keep it to myself. You know. No. 
I mean, everyone gains from having skills that you can acquire from other ways of learning. Mm. I mean, so useful. So in the same breath as, you know, what you're saying, people being able to get something from people who have been self-taught or who've learned how to write, compose themselves. You know, it all just has an excellent impact on mm. each other, don't you? I, I think so. And I, and I think, you know, everybody should have a... a um, first of all, everyone should be able to play every instrument. Right? I mean, if you, go, if, you buy, if you go to a shop and buy a guitar, it doesn't say you can only play flamenco on it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that'd be ridiculous. But when you go to the shop to buy tabla, it's like, I'm going to play tintal. You know. My dad still says to me, oh, how was your gig in Lisbon? I said, it was great. He said, what tala did you play? I said... Dad, I haven't played a tala for 10 years. <laughs> well, you must have played a tala. I said, no, I, I didn't play. Well, then what did you play then? I said, no, I just played sounds. And that's like, okay, whatever. So, you know, that. So the, first of all, everyone should have access to every instrument, that's my belief. And then secondly, you can choose to be a soloistic virtuoso or you can choose to be someone that just wants to play uh, what someone else has written or you can choose to be a bit of both. But we don't have that choice at the moment in, in, in these worlds. So I, I, and I've sort of labelled myself as the guy that's going to make that happen <laughs> in my own arrogance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I think I can do it. So, yeah, you know, right. and I think that's what I'm, I think that's what my life's about or what it's become anyway. Well, it seems so. very clear and apparent talking to you that you really can. All these are very <laughs> well formulated and, you know, very clear ideas. And it seems when you're saying it like this, it just seems obvious and straightforward, doesn't it? But well, I, I hope so. To, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been very lucky to have been thrown in a strange pond of uh, creativity of, uh, and then, and also at a very high level, you know, I mean, yeah. I, um, I've, been, I've been very lucky. I mean, actually, I don't really believe in luck in that sort of way, but I have been lucky um, to uh, have been thrown into those things. And people, people have trusted me with, okay, he he'll do the right thing. And so it hasn't. I haven't always done the right thing, but uh, at least I've 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 been thrown in. I thought, oh my God, I need to learn to swim in this pond, you know, or how does it work? How does it work in this pond, you know? And I, and I love that. So I worked in film and theatre and performances and teaching. So I, I want to help people and I want people to, if you've got a talent and you want to play tabla, here's a tabla. Do what you want with it. Play, show me what you've made with it. You know, if it's ding a ding a ding 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 or there's like bing bong bish or whatever or, or just bong. Yeah. Show me, you know, it's going to be amazing and we'll be very, very happy for you, you know. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. That was cool, Jip. Isn't he great? Wow. It was so nice to see him again, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, really nice guy. We could have chatted Very, on yeah. for hours, and like, like we didn't yeah. even cover, we didn't even chat to him about Ringo Starr, did we? No, we didn't. So maybe we do another podcast. Or Shakira. Think enough? Shakira, we didn't talk about Shakira. Oh, oh. next time. <laughs> but he was fascinating, wasn't he, about... Um, well, I just think it is really true, that thing of it feeling intimidating. The mm. thought of, and like you're going to insult a whole musical tradition if you try and play as as a white woman, you know, going and approaching mm. a tabla. I just, yeah. So it's brilliant well, yeah. what he's saying, you know. Anyone like should he, be able to play anything. Yeah, it's like he's saying, oh, am I allowed to touch it? And you go, yeah, of course. Like, but, but then... If I touch my drummer's drum kit, he would get annoyed. So <laughs> there is a certain Yeah, he respect. didn't invite us to play his tabla, did he? <laughs> he didn't. That's true. 
<laughs> I'm sure we could have asked. I'm sure we could have done. But I had my greasy samosa fingers. I didn't think it was appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks, oh. Kuljit. It was, uh, yeah, great to chat to you. And um, yeah, there's more, a little little brief bit for the, in the Patreon. Mm. Um, so head on over to there. Link in the description. Yeah. And this episode was very kindly supported by Chimney Fire Coffee. Yeah. Um, they make lovely coffee, obviously. They do. And I could do with a coffee right now. I don't know if you mm, noticed. I'm flagging a little bit this morning. Are you? Yeah. You seem like you're doing all right. Oh, thanks. I just feel like I'm maybe two coffees away from being on top form. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you've got a long day ahead of you. You're going to All Points East. Yep. Oh, I'm sorry you're not going to be there too. That's all right. But, it's going to uh, be a great day. Yeah, um, yeah. Did we just, before we get onto that, back oh, sorry, to the other. Oh, sorry, carry on. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> fire coffee. Rewind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a link in the description. If you go to their website, um, which is chimneyfirecoffee.com, and you buy a bag of coffee, and then you type in the code three in a bar. That's it. All caps. Then you get, t- all caps, then you get 20% off your first bag absolute bonus great coffee so exciting having things come through the post anyway isn't it these days these Mm. days sorry if i turned into my great granny apparently (laughs) these days i just love it when something arrives in the post from the catalogues yeah yeah oh i'd love to get something arrive in the post today that wasn't a bill (laughs) or a speeding fine you said you might have some shopping coming yeah i mean that's you got the groceries coming it's not the same it's just Sainsbury's, oh, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, I mean, great and all, Sain- but... Sainsbury's, is it? Yeah. Yeah, Sainsbury's. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I'd just quite like to get an exciting package arrive in the post. Um, mm. I'm not going to put my address on here, <laughs> but I'm sure it's easily accessible. So if anyone if wants Verity, to send me something, send something. <laughs> can you? <laughs> I think, you know what? It, it is quite easy to, easy to find. Yeah. You know why? I know why. <laughs> Well, when, when I've typed your address in, it comes up with... Um, it's Stilo String like, Quartet. No? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you can. Yeah. So type that in. If you've got anything nice you want to send me, or anything really, <laughs> I'd love that. <laughs> um, just uh, a, a recommendation for today and uh, a, an announcement for uh, Johnny Abraham has got a new track out. And we spoke to him. We spoke to him very early on, yeah, in our um, podcasting career. Probably like episode. It's in the single figures. I think wasn't it? it was two or three, wasn't it? It was very. Early yeah, it was one days. of the first ones we recorded. Yeah, and he was um, he was writing. Um, he had all these songs in his head, you know, very personal songs, and he just didn't. I don't know. He was at a point. I think he was quite sort of paralyzed with choice and just and just getting it done but he he recorded it got it you know recorded by you know incredible musicians got it he got it mastered at abbey road Mm. he um and now he's releasing it he's releasing a track um i'm not sure he's told me how he's doing it but he he's released the first track so far and it's it's called um, home is that right it's called home yeah yes that's right and it's out well the, the day we're recording this is friday the 26th of august but yeah. i don't know when we're when we're releasing this wednesday wednesday the 31st of august oh right <laughs> well anyway go, go over to he's got a band camp where you can buy the track um you can also 
you can also listen to it on all the other streaming sites but it's amazing and uh i can't oh, wait to hear the rest of it i'm so pleased for him that he's got it out i'm so glad because when we talked to him like you were saying it was really he was finding it hard to know what to do with it and yeah. it's been a long process well if you think when we recorded that episode that would be the end of 2019 i think and we are yeah. now the middle of 2022 so well done johnny that's fantastic i can't yeah. wait to go and listen to it yeah yes put it on it's really good and uh, there'll be more and fo- follow him on uh, instagram and everything because uh, i think he's going to be releasing extra content to go with every song there'll be backstage stuff of him recording it and and covers and stuff like that so uh, so yes yeah, it's, it's very cool um, but you'll be watching Johnny tonight. Yes, I will. I, I should say the name. He's not. He's not doing it as Johnny. He's, it's J. F. Abraham. That's his uh, artist name. That's and that's his album artist. Right. Great. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay, what so he's, he's. That's what he's called in in public service broadcasting. That's his. Yeah. Um. That's his kind of moniker. In that's that stage name. So you'll be watching that tonight. Yeah. Can't public wait. service broadcasting. Um. It's a lovely day. The sun's out. It's a great day. I just have to saunter down the road to Victoria Park. Oh, it's the wonderful. dream. It's the blooming dream, this festival. Yeah. Great lineup. Fleet Foxes. Oh. So excited to see them as well. Yeah. Um, the National. Yeah. Very exciting. Lucy Dacus. We were discussing on our Patreon, weren't we? Yeah. And um, yeah, and the Villagers. Oh, my God. Yeah. Brilliant. Can't wait. So um, great. Well, look, have a great day at- uh, all points east oh i will and you have a great day down in chichester great two yeah, days down there i'm going to depp on chichester oh thanks to thanks to angela whelan for having me in depping on that it's been fun yeah last and, week um, one more week to go now yeah it's funny it's wow. been a nice nice summer by the sea yeah yeah have you enjoyed yeah. it yeah it's a great show you made some it? new friends made some lovely new friends seen some old oh. friends it's been great yeah. really nice yeah it's a good place to work that yeah you've met some lovely landlords and ladies <laughs> i have <laughs> i've stayed in some salubrious taverns <laughs> <laughs> we can end the run with um two nights of camping in a field somewhere in the middle of nowhere um i'm already <laughs> slightly concerned about this really but what the whole band fun? A, a number of us, yeah, yeah. I'm not un- one of life's natural campers, as I may have said before, so <laughs> it's going to be, you know, let's go out with a bang, really. It's going to be special, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Just bring loads of stuff. Bring a pillow and a mattress yeah. and a bed. And a bed. <laughs> <And a house. laughs> that would be good. Um, right, let's go. Okay, let's finish. off we go. All right, take care, everyone. Bye. Bye-bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.